on fire. How many times have you heard that term, on fire? It is often used to describe a person or describe a church. He or she is on fire. That church is on fire. Those people are on fire. Fire is a term often used in revival meetings. Fire, we say. More fire, Lord. That meeting was fire. <laughs> that kind of language is based on the event which we remember today. Pentecost Sunday, when tongues of fire were seen on those gathered in the upper room. Let's read what happened. We're going to read in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 to 8 and then verses 12 and 13. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And then verses 12 and 13, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, ah, they are full of new wine. <laughs> they have just drunk. Well, Jesus told his disciples that they were to wait in Jerusalem to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The disciples had no idea what that would be. This was a striking event. Sound of wind. It had never happened before. But there was no indication that there was wind. There was a sound of wind, but there was no wind. Then tongues of fire were seen, but there was no fire burning anybody. And then they began to speak in tongues. And it was not softly either, because the city took note of it. It was not a quiet meeting. That day was the harvest feast of Pentecost. Pente means 50. And this feast was 50 days after the Passover feast. Jews from all over the known world were present in Jerusalem that day. And at about 9 a.m. in the morning, this event happens. As you continue reading the chapter further, you find that Peter spoke to the crowd and he boldly proclaimed the gospel. He gave Old Testament background to show that Jesus is the Christ, that he died and he rose again. And that morning, some 3,000 people committed their lives to Christ. They were born again. They were baptized in water and they were filled with the Spirit. 
Where did that boldness come from? Remember, this is Peter, the disciple that feared being identified with Christ, the one that denied Jesus. What changed him and all the other disciples to become such bold witnesses for Jesus? Well, a few things. Number one, the fact that they knew that Jesus was alive. As we've learned, you know, in our last series of messages, Jesus made sure the disciples were sure that he was alive. Number two, the fact that Jesus ascended to heaven. Seeing Jesus going up to heaven and having two angels appear and say that Jesus will return again, it sealed their faith in the living Christ. Number three, the teachings of Jesus. Remember that especially of his resurrection, Jesus spent time showing the disciples from the Old Testament scriptures concerning himself. And that is why Peter could so confidently now quote scripture concerning Jesus in his message on that day. Number four, the power of the Holy Spirit. This was the final and life-transforming ingredient. The person of Holy Spirit came to dwell in them. Jesus had said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of, to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That word power comes from the same root word that our word dynamite comes from. They shall receive power to speak in tongues. They shall receive power to preach the gospel with great boldness. They shall receive power to endure great trials and tribulation. Remember that the church was going into a hostile environment. The death of Jesus was still fresh in the minds of the religious leaders of the day. And they opposed Christianity with passion. The Christians proclaimed Jesus as Lord. And this was an insult to Romans, to whom Caesar was Lord. And so those early Christians, who were Jews, had opposition from Jews and from Gentiles. But the Spirit gave them power to stand firm in their faith. They were on fire for the Lord. And as a result of that fire, of that passion, many people were changed in Jerusalem. Many of those Jews who were visiting from other nations were saved as well. And they took that message with them back to their countries, their nations. The Spirit gave them power to be witnesses for Jesus in those nations. And soon people were being changed in other nations too, both Jews and Gentiles. Take some time to read the book of Acts. And you'll learn about the first 60 years of the church, 60 years or so of the church. In spite of great difficulties, persecutions, deaths, they persevered. That word witnesses in Greek is also the word for martyr. 
It does not mean that every Christian, every believer will be a martyr. But many followers of Christ from the first century until today have paid the ultimate price for their faith. And the Holy Spirit gave them power for that too. For 2,000 years, followers of Jesus on fire for God have kept the message and the church alive. Now, it's our time. Are you on fire? (laughs) When you hear that term, on fire, perhaps your first thought is of someone who is outgoing, boisterous, loud, boldly telling people to repent, to be born again. You think of someone perhaps walking around with a Bible, a big one, And always reading it during their lunch breaks. To some people, being on fire means being a fanatic or an extremist. What does on fire mean to you? Take a moment and think about that term, on fire. Are you on fire? Do you consider yourself to be on fire? Let's take a look at how... Those first century on fire Christians lived like. Let's read towards the end of chapter 2. I'm reading verse 42 of Acts 2. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another sharing communion, and coming together regularly for prayer. What does an on-fire life look like? Well, they were devoted. That means each one took the initiative and responsibility for their own spiritual growth. Nobody needed to chase them to go to church, to pray, to study the Word. It says every believer was faithfully devoted. The NIV says they devoted themselves. How are you doing during this lockdown time? Are you devoting yourself to spiritual disciplines? Or are you letting them slide by? Times like these, they kind of reveal to us what we really are like. Take stock of your life. Are you dependent on church programs for your spiritual growth? Listen, church programs are important. And they are important in equipping you and training you. But when those programs are not there, you should be able to continue on your own with what you have. When those who became Christians in Jerusalem went back to their nations, the apostles did not go with them. All they took was the teaching of the apostles, which they continued to talk about and teach others. Only later did the apostles go and visit them and visit those countries and be with them. One of the keys to being on fire is to be devoted. You are a Christian because you love Jesus with supreme love. That is our motivation. Peter learned that, and so should we.
Then they studied the Word. The apostles' teaching is what we have today in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have the references to the Old Testament that point to Jesus. And we can go and read the Old Testament and find the prophecies there. So we can study the Word and be on fire, just like the first century Christians did. In fact, it is even easier today. Then they had to listen and remember carefully. Because the New Testament had not been written yet, and the Old Testament was locked up in the synagogue. So they had to listen and remember. Today, we can carry translations, many translations and versions of the Bible in our smartphones. In fact, it even reads the Bible for us. We have no excuse not to be in the Word, to know the Word, to study the Word. You want to be on fire? Get the Word in you. Then their hearts were linked. They had fellowship. At the moment, our fellowship is very limited, but we can still stay connected with one another. Christianity is not meant to be a solo journey. It is meant to be taken together, but we can't have fellowship with all believers in the world. It's impossible, and that is why there are Local churches where we connect with and we are known and the people know us and you are there for one another. So who is your spiritual family? What is your spiritual address? We all have a residential address. Nobody will do business with you if you don't have a residential address. When you have an address, you can visit other people. You can even go and stay over at their home and they welcome you because they know you've got a place to go back to. You're not coming to a squatter in their home. And it's the same thing spiritually. We all need a spiritual address, a place where we are known, where we belong. And then from there, we can minister. Nobody's going to trust somebody's ministry who is not rooted in a spiritual family. Amen? And so... We need to be rooted. God's design is that physically we should be born into loving families. And as believers, we should belong to a loving spiritual family. Are you part of a spiritual family? What is your spiritual address? On fire believers can easily answer those questions. Then those early Christians, they took part in communion. And we have often spoken about the importance of communion, the Lord's table, the breaking of bread. It is a moment of remembrance, a memorial, and it is also a prophetic act. We remember what Jesus did on the cross for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And we declare that he will come again. You can take communion on your own. You can take communion with your family or small group of friends And you can take communion together as a church. This is one of the ordinances that Jesus told us to do until he returns. Listen, for on fire believers, communion is not just a religious act. It's not just a thing we do because we have to. No, it is a significant and precious moment, a reflection of our fellowship with Him. Even taking communion online is significant and 
meaningful. So, what is communion to you? Just a ritual or something meaningful? Then they prayed together regularly. As you read Acts, you'll become aware that prayer was an important part of the believers' lives. Jesus taught to pray individually and to pray corporately. There is a time for both, but every believer should be a praying believer. Every recorded move of God has been preceded by prayer, even the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Before that, what were the disciples doing? The Bible says that after the ascension, they went to Jerusalem as instructed by Jesus. In Acts 1.14, we read, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Even Pentecost was preceded by prayer. Today, as you know, is a national day of prayer in South Africa. Before the service is over, we are going to join in prayer together with our nation and for the world. COVID-19 shall not prevail. Amen. So, to on-fire believers, prayer is not an option. It is part of their daily life. How important is prayer in your life? And then, of course, the power of the Holy Spirit. Those disciples, those early disciples, they could have had the Word. They could have had fellowship, communion, and lots of prayer, and yet not have been effective witnesses. They needed the power of the Holy Spirit. They had to wait for Holy Spirit to come so they could have power to be witnesses. Well, today we don't have to wait. The Holy Spirit came to stay in the church, to live in the church, to live in each believer. We don't have to wait. And so what is stopping us from being on fire? We have everything that the first century Christians had. All we have to do is what? Be devoted. One more thing before we pray together. I mentioned earlier that some people think that to be on fire is to be outgoing and boisterous. Some believers are like that. They easily talk to people, they testify, they challenge them to commit their lives to Jesus. Other believers are quieter, more reserved, not so outgoing. Does it mean that they are not on fire? Of course not. In Acts, we read about the apostles and how they went about preaching and bringing many to Jesus. But there were hundreds and thousands of other disciples on fire that we don't read about. But they were supporting, they were praying, they were teaching quietly, they were visiting, they were caring, they were doing the work of the Lord in a quiet way. You don't have to be loud and visible to be on fire. You can be on fire for the Lord and express it by the work you do. Yes, I'm talking about your secular work. Last week, I spoke about the message of Jesus. His message was the kingdom of God. Being on fire means being committed to that message and being an expression of the kingdom no matter where you are. The one person we need to be on fire, to be devoted, 
is the person of the Holy Spirit. Acknowledge the Holy Spirit in your life. Listen to His still small voice as He guides you. Invite Him to open your eyes as you read Scripture. Asking for insight and wisdom as you make your daily decisions in life. Pentecost is not just a historic event. Pentecost is for now. On fire believers are needed today more than ever as we navigate uncertain times. On fire believers are those who do as we sang this morning. Remember the song? So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe to the one who gave it all. So I'll stand, my soul, Lord, to you surrendered. All I am is yours. So, brothers and sisters, let's stand. Devote yourself to being an on-fire believer. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Well, let's spend some time now joining our nation in prayer. As you said, prayer is an important part of a believer's life. We are not in the same room. But we are in one spirit and in one accord right now. There are many other brothers and sisters lifting their voices and thoughts to God in prayer today. Tomorrow, South Africa moves to alert level three. This means that many people can return to work and become economically active. Grade sevens and twelves are returning to school. University campuses are beginning to open. This is good. But it also means that a lot more people will be exposed to the risk of contracting the COVID-19 virus. We need to pray for protection. No matter how much caution we have, we need, above all, the Lord's protection. So, let's do it in prayer right now. Amen? Right away, are. I'm going to pray. Join me in prayer. Yes, you are together. They pray together. Let's pray. Father, We come together and join our voices to our brothers and sisters in this nation, praying for this nation, praying for the world, my God. We pray for everyone who has been affected by this pandemic in different ways, socially, financially, those who need employment or accommodation. Father, we pray for your mercy, oh God. Father, we pray for the families of those who have lost loved ones. We pray for those who are working to keep us safe. We pray for their health and for their protection, Lord. Lord, we pray for those who are suffering and are grieving. And Lord, as we go to level three, we pray for wisdom and common sense to prevail, Father. We pray for health. We pray for safety over this nation. Father, we pray for learners and students, for educators and staff as they return to schools and universities. We pray for the cure, Father, for this COVID-19, for an effective way of treating and preventing it May it bow down to the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray you keep us safe, healthy, above all, connected to you, Lord. Keep us on fire for you, Father. And I pray, Lord, that the peace of the Lord will be in our hearts as we navigate this difficult time globally. For South Africa and for the nations of the world, Father, we pray restoration. We pray healing in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And maybe... If there's any person that you know that needs prayer, maybe someone you know who is sick, who is needy, right now, maybe in your families can pray then. Continue praying. Even when the service is over, you can have more times of prayer. 
pray for them individually, mention them by name, declare the word of the Lord over their lives. Father, you hear the prayers. You know each one of those individuals. Father, have mercy, Lord God. We pray for your favor and grace in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise God. There is power in prayer. Hallelujah. And the Lord listens to our prayer. Now listen, apart from this time of prayer, please stay in a spirit of prayer today. Keep lifting your thoughts to the Lord. Come together as a family again, maybe later today. Listen, you can never pray too much. And let us continue standing firm in our faith. Let us intentionally be on fire for the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. May the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. Amen.